We're going to read today James chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. James chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. This is the word of God. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Thus the reading of the word of the Lord, we ask his blessing upon it, and all agree in prayer, saying, Amen. Please be seated. In James verses 1, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 that we just read, God's Word has something to say about a matter which each one of us will encounter in life sooner or later. In fact, multiple times in life, and that is trials. Trials that come into our life. They're no fun usually. They're hard. They're painful. They can be scary. They can be a source of much grief and mourning, all of which are a normal, normal part of the ordinary human experience in a fallen world. Christians and non-Christians alike. But we learn from God's word in James that for the Christian, trials are of particular value. James teaches us that even in the midst of the bleakest, hardest, most foreboding trials of life, we yet have reason to rejoice. He tells us in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Sounds a bit odd to think that enduring trials is a, a reason for joy, but that is what the inspired and inerrant word of God tells us. Consider your trials a reason for rejoicing, the Bible says. And in verse 4, James explains why this is so. By patiently enduring the trials of life, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Things in our Christian character are lacking, all of us, and there are things we need. And God, who is all-powerful and all-wise and perfect in all His ways and in everything He does, knows that in some circumstances, the best way for our spiritual shortcomings to be shored up, if you will, is by our enduring some trials. So know that God sometimes uses trials to build 
our character to shape and mold us into something beautiful and pleasing for his eye to behold. God brings trials in our lives to fill in some part of our spiritual constitution that's lacking so that we will not lack, so that we will be a completed work. As James says, it, we will be complete, lacking in nothing. And that's reason for us to be encouraged in the midst of trials. And if we can't see that, then something is lacking in us indeed. And sometimes we can't see that. And hopefully God will open our eyes to see it. But James tells us uh, what is in the very next verse, verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. Now the word but at the beginning of verse 5 shows us that in Verses 5 through 8, James is expanding the thought of verses 1 through 4. Notice the flow from verse 4 into the next paragraph. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So whereas verses 1 through 4 of James 1 teach us that the, teaches the value of trials and why we should actually appreciate them verses five through eight tell us how to endure them how to gain wisdom to endure trials in such a manner that is pleasing and honoring to our lord god and to learn from them ourselves so our sermon text this morning is going to be verses five through eight and here in this passage we find three imperative statements commands from god to his people when we happen to find ourselves lacking in the wisdom that is necessary for understanding our trials as we should and experiencing and enduring our trials as we should. And here are the three commands. Verse five, ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God. Verse six, ask in faith. If you lack wisdom, Ask God, but ask in faith without wavering. And verse 7, a little harder to see, but expect nothing. If you don't ask in faith, don't expect to receive anything. Now, when we put these three commands from God together, the logic of verses 5, 6, and 7 go like this. If you lack wisdom to understand your trials, ask God for it, and he will give it. But Ask in faith without wavering. If you waver, don't expect to receive wisdom from God. So let's go back and examine these verses a little more closely. And I do want to give credit this morning for uh, much of the thought uh, in this exposition. I want to give credit to Dr. J. Adams, his very insightful work, The Christian Counselor's Commentary. James is one of his books of expertise, as you know. But the point of verse 5 is, if you lack the wisdom to understand and understand and, and endure your trials, ask God for it. In other words, taking our cue from Dr. Adams, while under trial, the one thing you need is wisdom. And enduring trials wisely should help bring you to be the kind of person described back in verse four that we looked at a moment ago, one who is complete and lacking in nothing. And so for in order... In order for us to endure 
the trials of life in a God-honoring manner and bring our life closer to, closer to being the Christian of verse 4, the one who is complete and lacking in nothing, we need, know to ha- we need to know how to think biblically when considering our trials. Not think as the world thinks, not think as the so-called experts think, but to think and act biblically. And so what you need, what you must have to do this is wisdom. Well, how do you get this wisdom from God? You know, you you don't go down, hopefully, to the Christian bookstore and look at the self-help section because that's very dangerous. Be careful if you do that. Well, they don't have Christian bookstores anymore, do they? Brick and mortars, it's all online now, mostly. But, you know, we don't go there and just pick up a book from some alleged expert with whom we're really not familiar. Many do that. But what does James say? How do we get wisdom from God? Well, we ask for it. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. There's more, of course. When we ask God for wisdom, how does he respond? Does God say in so many words, you know, don't bother me? There's only so much wisdom to go around and you're not on the list? Of course not. What does James say? Look at verse 5. God gives wisdom to all generously and without reproach. God gives wisdom to his people freely. He doesn't reprimand us and scold us when we ask him for for wisdom. And when we go to God on our knees seeking wisdom, he doesn't, you know, scold us as if we're about to bother him or something. He's delighted when he sees his redeemed children coming to him, seeking him. That's what he wants. And notice the latter part of verse 5. When one of God's children asks our father in heaven, heaven for wisdom what according to james is the response from god what does it say it will be given to him that's not hard to understand is it not a difficult verse to comprehend but there are some things we need to take into account now why is it that so many christians today don't seem to have this wisdom I mean, if it's there for the asking, freely and gladly given, why do so many lack it? And they do. Why is that? Why are there so many? Well, at least two possible answers to that question. And one of them is this, I think. Most Christians go to the right source to ask for wisdom. God. But many don't go to the right source to find wisdom after the asking. Let's talk about that for a moment. Wisdom is the skill of godly living, isn't it? The skill of thinking and speaking and acting in a godly manner, a God-honoring manner, an obedient manner, in terms of what? God's holy word. So the manner in which we speak to and about others and the way we go about doing Uh, things in our life and the way we think about things, the way we perceive things, the way we make choices about things, doing these things with skill, the skill of godly living, speaking and acting in a godly manner in terms of God's holy word, doing these things in a way that honors God, that's what's expected 
and we can do that because God has revealed it to us. God has revealed to us how he desires us to live. He's revealed to us how he desires us to think and speak and act in any and every circumstance. God has given it to us. So where do we find it? 2 Timothy 3, probably every one of you can say this verse. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But notice now the similarity between what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.17 and what James says in James chapter 1, verse 4. James writes that the purpose of trials in the life of the Christian is what? That we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, that the purpose of Scripture is what? That we may be complete and thoroughly equipped. Trials in Scripture are both used for the same purposes, aren't they? Many others, of course, but for the same purpose, that we may be complete. Paul says it. James says it. That we may be thoroughly equipped, that we may be not lacking. Paul says it. James says it. You see the relationship between the two? So then, if we're lacking in wisdom, the one of whom we ask for it is God, and the source to which we turn to discover it is the Scriptures. It's already there. God's revelation of His holy will for our salvation and for our wisdom and for everything in life, in, in any and every circumstance in life, God's already given us wisdom. Unfortunately, when all too many Christians find themselves in the midst of a trial or a hardship, what they do is something like read verse 1 through chapter, you know, verse 5, perhaps. And it's a good verse to read. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him. That's a good place to start. And they pray. And they ask God for wisdom, like the verse says, so far so good. They've gone to the right source to ask for it. But then, as a lady, elderly lady used to remind me, they don't put legs to their prayers. They expect that, you know, in some mystical way, they're just going to be zapped with wisdom or something. You know, they're going to wake up one morning and, oh, I feel so wise. Or, when that doesn't happen, I ask God for wisdom. Why didn't he give it to me? In which, of course, they're blaming God, but it's for their own shortcoming. What did Jesus say? Ask and it shall be given to you. Then what? Seek. Seek and you shall find. Wisdom is found by seeking it in God's holy word. We're not just infused with it all of a sudden. God can do that, but he communicates to us by his word, doesn't he? And so after we ask God for wisdom, we have to put some legs on our prayers and go seek it, search for it, put some effort into it, dig. We have to mine the depths of the divinely given scriptures and bring to the surface all those valuable pieces of wisdom that are there. And it's something with which we should be supplied because in the Bible, 
we find we see this portrait of wisdom in Proverbs chapter eight. And what what is wisdom doing? Calling people. For in in Proverbs chapter eight, calling for people. Seek me. Find me. Love me. I'm here. And wisdom longs to be found by us, even making herself visible and attainable. Verses one through five of Proverbs eight. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, to, at the entrance to the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. If you want wisdom, she is to be had. And she calls for you to seek her. And she dwells in the word of God. She beckons you to come into her house, but we can't enter the house of wisdom until we open her door. That's where she lives. That's where she's to be found by all who will seek. Now that explains one reason why Christians sometimes lack the wisdom they feel like they need to understand their trials and to endure those trials in a God-honoring way. But here's another. Brings us to another point. To receive wisdom, we must ask for it in faith without wavering. Verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So God promises that he will make that wisdom attainable. In the midst of your trials, you can attain it from God, who's described as lavishing it on us generously and gladly. But not only must you seek for it in God's word, Scripture says you must not doubt. Even if you're turning to God's word for wisdom, and wisdom is right there, there still is the possibility of sinful doubting standing in the way of our profiting from this salvation. Now, one of the important things we need to do in reading Scripture is not force our own uh, interpretation onto the terms that are there. We need to seek and find out what they mean. And this is very true when you consider the meaning of the word that we have translated in our English Bibles as doubt or waver. It could be read as follows. Ask in faith without distinguishing. Oh, that makes it sound a whole lot different all of a sudden, doesn't it? For the one distinguishing is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. So the idea here is not so much doubting that God is able and strong and mighty enough to help us. We believe that. We believe that God is strong, that God is all-powerful. The idea isn't even doubting whether or not He will help us. The idea is more along the lines of seeking wisdom from God, yet wavering between two opinions. Distinguishing between two opinions. 
let me quote Dr. Adams again. He writes, the word for doubt pictures one who can't agree with himself. He's undecided. He carries on a self-debate that causes vacillation. Writing from a counselor's perspective, he explains, many counselees come divided on the one hand between obedient, trustful action based on God's word, and on the other hand, acts of or continuance in sin. They're limping between two opinions. And so when James writes in verse 6 that people asking wisdom from God must not doubt, what's he saying? Don't doubt the veracity of his word. Don't doubt the integrity of what God tells you. When you find God's will on the matter at hand revealed to you in God's word, don't halt between two opinions. Don't waver. Don't be tossed about. Your mind on the matter at hand shouldn't be wavering, distinguishing, divided. And it's not the division if, we're not, if we don't approach this right. It's not the division between whether God can or cannot, will or will not help. The division exists in the minds and it's between here's what God's word commands me to do. Here's what God's revealed about it. But that's not what I want. I want to do otherwise. I want to follow this route. That's the wavering. That's the distinguishing of which James speaks in verse, verse 6. Not in doubting his ability, but in not taking him seriously enough. More to do with doubting the necessity of obeying God's commands. And Christians sometimes convince themselves that they can just continue on ignoring the commands of God and go their own way, yet at the same time receive wisdom and blessing from Him in the midst of life's trials. And they waver between what God's com God commands and their own opinions. They came seeking wisdom. Here it was. They read it. Then they closed their books and went on like fools. That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? All of us. It's our sinful nature. We love God's Word. We love what God reveals. We love what He's shown us and teaches us. But sometimes we would love to hear something else, wouldn't we? When we're confronted with it. I've had people come to our church so many times. I love the preaching here. Oh, I love the teaching. You are serious about the Bible, and that's what I'm looking for until it applies to them. And a lot of them at that point either kind of disappear or unfortunately end up excommunicated. But that's the way Christians too many times approach God's Word. James describes the man who wavers between two opinions. God's requirement and a man's own companion, opinions as being like a wave of the sea driven by the wind, tossed to and fro. The sea isn't steady, is it? It's not steady. It constantly moves. It shifts back and forth with the pull of the moon and the winds and, and everything like that. It, it tosses about. 
its waves are constantly vacillating back and forth and up and down. Unlike the mountains where I live, they don't move. They're, they pretty much stay in one place. But that's not the way the sea is. And it's like human opinions, isn't it? Opinions change and change and change again. I heard one pastor say that your opinions are useless. And your opinions about your opinions are useless too. God's word doesn't change. God's word is absolute. You can depend on it. It's reliable. It's like a mountain. It's there. And it's not going anywhere. And it doesn't move. The same instruction it gives you today, it will give you tomorrow. The instruction it gave you today is the same instruction it's given down through the millennia to people like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and, and Paul. That's why God's Word, which never changes, brings us wisdom. Constant, unfaltering, never failing, always reliable, always dependable wisdom in the midst of the trials of life. And what about the person who seeks wisdom from God's Word, finds it, finds what God's Word requires of him, yet wavers between two opinions, God's Word and his own opinion, refuses to yield? What about him? Verses 7 and 8. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Or in the Greek, he is a man of two souls unstable in his ways he's a man of two minds and a man of two minds is an unstable man you never know which mind he's going to follow he's not wise he's foolish he's not steady and dependable he's unstable he can't be trusted so in order for you to have wisdom from god in the midst of of the trial so that the trial which you're enduring will turn out to help make you mature and complete in god as James says, it is in verse 4. Rather than being a double-minded man, rather than being a man of two minds, we need a mindset like that of Jesus. His life on earth was in yielded submission to the authority of God. Living in terms of God's Word. And when you think and act as Christ but have you think and act according to his word, wisdom is yours. You've, you've possessed it. You've gained it. And that trial will turn out to be to your benefit and to God's glory, no matter how painful it will be. And you're going to endure some painful trials if you go into the ministry, let me tell you. You will. But stand on God's word. It may cost you. It may hurt you. It may sometimes wish you could just go on home and get over all this. Go on to be with the Lord. And it may cost you. You may lose. You may lose things. But one thing is for certain. You can always say, I sought wisdom in God's word. I found it, I stood there, and I'm so glad I did. And so, 
That's how we need to approach the hardships we endure in life, like our Lord Jesus. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. But knowing that it was his Father's will that he passed through that horrible trial on the cross for our salvation, he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. He was a single minded man. And so, if it's God's will that the trial be removed, we've avoided a lot of pain and sorrow. But if not, then unlike the man who sees the will of God yet desires his own will, unlike him, your attitude will be not my will, but thine. And when we can do that, we become very, very wise. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the wisdom supplied already. You've given it to us. It's in your word. But help us, Lord, to have hearts that seek and find and yield and submit and obey. Help us more and more to do that and help us, Lord, to teach others the same. But how can we teach what we ourselves don't do? So, Lord, change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.